Welcome to Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels we're reading. I'm Taylor Trask. I'm Todd A. And you may notice right off the bat, Panelism. <laughs> what, what show have I subscribed to? Well, it is still Todd and Taylor, and it is still us talking about comics and graphic novels. But we have reached this point in the road where uh, Todd and I have done several episodes uh, under the Coffee and Comics Club or Coffee and Comics name. And we were looking at some different things. We wanted to make some changes. We want to introduce some new content. And we had been promoting the show to various friends and and folks out there. And and strangely enough, when we say, hey, find us at the Coffee and Comics Club or the Coffee and Comics Show, some people have responded by saying, which one? And, you know, we were thinking about that. It's like, well, yeah, it's a good name. But there are other things out there called Coffee and Comics, you know, various stores, other podcasts. So, it was it was a little confusing, Todd. I think it was yeah, you know. and, and not you know. I mean, it was a little frustrating for us. I think because we came to that name so organically, it just yeah. spontaneously came up one time. And when we did our initial searches, we did not find anything related to it. And we thought perfect. And then it's like everything came out. And yeah, we've been kind of uh, you know dancing around this for a while. But uh, and, and we really wanted to, we, we're going to make a bigger push to get more listeners in, in the next couple of months and other interesting surprises are coming down the pike. So we wanted to make sure that you could find us, that you knew what you were looking for was us without a lot of hassle. And uh, Todd here had, you know, we were just tossing some names back and forth and he said, what about panelism? And I said, <laughs> and looked around and the more I thought about it the more I liked it and we shared it with some friends and they thought it was interesting and um, nothing else has that name yet so god dang it we're putting our flag in the ground and I think I appreciate that you have preemptively thrown the credit slash <laughs> blame grenade in my trench well no I, I say it because I actually it is I like the name and it's you know I came up with a couple half-baked ideas and that just didn't quite land and well, this no, one don't sell yourself short I think we had a lot of good ideas well Fair enough, but this is the one that we're sticking with. And I actually, I, I, I give you credit because it's just deserved. I don't think it's weird or, or yeah, I, I wouldn't want to use it if it was not good. So all that to be said, this is the show, just like the old show. But in this incarnation, we are actually going to do a book, an episode. Um, keep things a little shorter, a little more compact. Uh, we may still talk about what we're drinking from time to time, whether it be coffee or wine or any other such you know, tea whatever it is, but mainly we're just going to be focusing on the books, getting into a deeper dive, and I think having something a little bit more focused, and that way you can listen to an episode just for that book, and um, I think we're still going to try to put most of these out on Wednesdays or a new comic day, yeah. maybe another one later in the week, so we'll, we'll experiment. So that all said, let's jump into this week's pick, Todd. And um, Let's do it. This is yours. So you're, we're talking about a book that you have read. That's right. So yes. hit me this- with it. <laughs> this is a book I've read, and I, I hit you up a little. I teased it a little last night to you via via Hangouts, and I said this is going to go into the, the. I think I used the word Cajun mindscape of Neil Young. Yes, it's, I don't know why I put <laughs> that, Cajun that famous there. Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I don't know why I said that. It is clearly not that at all. But it is a book uh, called Greendale, or specifically Neil Young's Greendale. And yes, I'm talking about that Neil Young um, of music fame, and it's written by Joshua Dysart and Art by Cliff Chang, uh, published by Vertigo in 2010, June 2010. And it's loosely based on uh, Neil Young's 2003 album of the same name. You can go uh, Wikipedia Greendale or pull it up on Spotify. 
Um, and the comic, I, there's a lot of kind of conflicting information about how the comic came to be. But after the album came out, Neil Young, I think, was tossing around this idea. The album is kind of a concept album um, in, in some ways. So I think that lent itself to it. The song titles uh, translated over. So there's a lot of the book uh, has its roots organically in that album. And um, it's kind of cool that way. You don't need to listen to the album to appreciate the book. Uh, I actually listened to it after I read it. Uh, and it, it goes along with it nicely, but it's not required. It's just kind of like a fun little fun little connection. It's not, uh, let, me, let me reframe it. It's not as integrated as the Jonathan Colton uh, book. State. Yeah, it. Solid State was. It's not like that where you, you know, they layer on top of each other. Gotcha. It's just kind of a nice jumping off point for the book. And I'm going to start with the back cover, um, and we're going to try to do this in every episode where we kind of give you the, the broad summary first. I'm just going to read from the back cover because it's it's interesting and it kind of gives you the the lay of the land. And it's early 2003, so the story is set when the album came out, even though it came out you know, the book is seven years later. It's early 2003, and America's march to war seems unstoppable. Yet you'd never know it in the quiet northern California town of Greendale, where 18-year-old Son Green great-granddaughter of the man who helped carve this community out of the sweeping western coast, lives, loves, and dreams. Son is different from most other kids. Always has been. The women in her family have all had a strange relationship with nature, but in almost every instance, the relationship has turned tragic. And on the day the bombs began to drop half a world away, a stranger arrives in town in town that only Son can see, a stranger who's come to shake her very existence by destroying everything she loves. So that gives you kind of a good a good jumping off point but it really is uh i think the best way to kind of frame this book is it's stranger things with an 18 year old girl um and environmental activism all kind of wound up in in the same sort of story so it's got that stranger things feel to it um an aesthetic but it's it's definitely for a, a slightly older audience and and there's a heavy a heavy green message baked into it well, that uh, back cover also, I mean, just anytime someone says stranger comes to town, I, I read it as like a, almost like a Western kind of thing. Ah, see now that, mm, it's interesting. I didn't when I, but that's oh, okay. great. It's it, cause I, I should, I should backtrack too. I picked this book up at my favorite comic shop in um, Rapid City, South Dakota. It's actually the only comic shop in Rapid City, but <laughs> it is, anytime I'm back home, I stop in, and I have found the most interesting indie picks there. That's actually the store where I discovered East of West a couple years ago. Um, so I always stop in, and this was this was just you know on, on a primary shelf, kind of near the indie stuff. And immediately when I saw Neil Young, I was like, oh, I got to get this. It um, The themes are really interesting, because there's a couple strong ones. You know, With the Stranger Things... And you, you mentioned the Western element. That's not quite there so much. Um, it's less that and more uh, about this girl's journey. And the stranger coming to town is more about her fighting against her own demons or fighting against symbolic corruption. And strangely, that that or not strangely, but just coincidentally, the stranger is actually depicted as a younger Neil Young. You know, he's got the hat on, he's got the, the jacket, the belt buckle, the harmonica. Um, it's kind of a, Neil Young had his cake and ate it too. He put, kind of put himself in as sort of the Metastopheles kind of enigmatic character that sort of drifts in and, you know, has a hand in things. You don't quite know if he's real or supernatural. So that's, that's where that piece really comes into play, which is kind of fun. Do you think Neil put himself in or is that sort of the writer thinking that we'll take this character from the album and make it Neil Young? 
Or I guess I think, maybe in the album when he's singing in first person or something. That's where it comes from. I think both. You know, yeah. the the uh, Joshua Dysart did the primary writing, but Neil Young was heavily involved with gotcha. the creation of this. So my guess is it was both to um, homage him, but also, um, uh, you know, it's, it's just a cool little twist. I could almost see this, you know, it, it especially when you first start reading it, you kind of wonder if this isn't set up to be an anthology series of some kind where this would be like the first one. And, you know, there'd be other stories set in Greendale, almost like Ice Cream Man, where Neil Young is the Ice Cream Man. It was kind of like, you know, I, I reviewed that a couple a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago. And that was, yeah. you know, reminding me of similar. And it, the, the whole graphic novel is one single storyline focusing on this girl named Sun Green. Um, but even in the opening intro written by Neil himself, he talks about the fact that the town is, you know, population 20 to 25,000. Not- and... Um, by it's, the way, not not Neil Gaiman. Who oh, is. did I say Neil Gaiman? I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. You said Neil, Neil himself, which is Neil Gaiman's. Oh, you're movie. right. <laughs> yeah, Neil Young. Different Neil. Sorry. Gaiman is not involved in this at all, which is both interesting and kind of, you know, it, I don't know. It, just, it, it was, you have to keep reminding yourself. Sorry, that. I interrupted you right as you got to the population of the town. <laughs> yeah. So he in his opening little intro, that's right, you know, page one, he says, um, you know, it's population 20 to 25,000. Um, and he, he kind of talks about it like it's this. You know, there's a lot going on. It seems to be pretty mellow. It's kind of this rambling little intro. Um, and he, you know, he's like, I'm kind of making up as I go along. But it, it, the intro suggests almost that I had to, I had to skip ahead to go, is this, you know, four chapters of different stories or you know, is this meant to go on? And, you know, I, it can be read as a self-contained piece, but there is definitely this feeling of this character, this Neil Young kind of you know, nameless character, this stranger could be a common thread through a bunch of different stories over different time periods in mm. this town. Um, it's not, I mean, I, I don't think they ever made another one, but it, they could, if they ever wanted to pick this back up, or you can almost see this as like, hey, this is a crazy good TV show pitch. Um, it just may have came out a little too early. It's, you know, 2010, we hadn't quite gotten to where Netflix is now, HBO, AMC, we're still just, you know, still experimenting largely. And Game of Thrones had, I think was a year away still. So this would this would make a great show. Um, too and maybe that's at some point they'll he'll get there and and do sort of a stranger things black mirror kind of thing um other themes though that i really liked the uh theme of family really strong in this you know this is son the girl in the story is the central protagonist but she she's got there's a story about her grandfather there's a story about her mom um you know she had a twin sister at some point you know that something happened to that sets the whole story off. So there's a lot of themes about that. Also a lot of themes of, of female empowerment, um, both with her as a character, but also you get a sense of, you know, her aunt, her grandmother um, had something special about them that she might share. And how does that, you know, how does she find her place in the world? She's an 18 year old girl. So, you know, she's going to have teen angst as well. She's going to be railing against her parents a little bit. Um, she's going to be railing against, this small town that she finds herself in that, that is increasingly claustrophobic, both physically, but also to her aspirations to what she wants to do in life, how she sees the world um, that bleeds into the theme of purpose as well. You know, wh- how, what is she going to be when she grows up? What is that going to look like? How does, how does this sort of special thing about her? She's, you know, right in the beginning, this isn't quite a spoiler so much because they, they introduce this right away. She is a girl who kind of has this weird symbiotic, uh, relationship with nature 
you know, she can climb up trees kind of effortlessly. She, you know, she'll be walking through the, the woods and, um, you know, a flock of caribou will just start following her randomly. And it's never like, it's never bad or ill-intentioned. It's just sort of this, and she's not like an X-Men. She doesn't like, you know, you manifest her power on command. It just sort of happens. And hmm. part of the story is the exploration of what that is with her. Um, where else was I going to go with I'm that? curious how, I, I, do you know how those themes work into Neil Young's album of the same thing? Yeah, so I was... The name like, are there powers? Is there a Stranger Things vibe to that? Oh, not no, definitely not. I mean, you can go look up the, the album and the, the lyrics and everything. Like, for example, I'm going to pull it up real quick. The um, album titles, like there's a, there's a uh, title called Double E. And so uh, Son's parents are named uh, i think like edgar and uh, edith mm. i think or so it's you know there's a whole there's a line in the book about they live on the double e ranch you know gotcha. named after them so there's a song called double e um there's a song called uh sun green there's a song called be the rain you know there's various sort of dream sequences where sun sees this this unidentified woman telling her to be the rain so that um you know that comes in so i think the album was a jumping off point I think the album is about this town or has, you know, this town right. was sort of manifested in the album, but they took a supernatural twist with it um, yeah, that, for, the, for the comic. The other thing I'm curious about is how, um, so the comic, or at least that, you know, the, the description of it um, really centers around the start of the Iraq war. Yeah. Um, uh, part Dieu, I guess. Uh, yeah. Not, not the OG Iraq war, but um, uh how much does that factor in with the supernatural and the environmentalism? Like, is that just a backdrop to the story or is it, you know, really prominent in the, in the telling of the story? It's a great question. It pops up a couple of times. It is more background, I think, cause you know, she'll be in a bar, she'll be at home and then um, CNN will be talking about the war. They'll be showing right. like a speech from Bush. I think it all just serves to sort of manifest her sense of purpose um, you know, at the same time, she runs into some environmental activists who are going to Alaska to protest the um, mm. the uh, pipeline that's going in. So it all kind of fits together. And I think when the Neil Young stranger character appears, it usually is to personify these um, corrupt systems. You know, like uh, whether it be even, I think when you first see him, he's talking on the phone to some unknown person, and he, you think he might be giving him a a variable rate mortgage or something. It's like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, it's like, he's, he might be, you know, intentionally sowing discord and sort of, he, he represents this sort of unstoppable force to make the world worse, you know? And there's oh, okay. later on too, there's this son gives this really good speech later about sort of these corrupt systems and, you know, what we can do to, to fight back. It's like a lot of books I've read lately. It's really apropos in 2018. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Get, you know, it's, it's almost like he wrote it, you know, in the album was conceived in 2003. The book, comic book was, you know, the graphic novels came out in 2010. But this is the year that I think it really matters more than any any other time for a number of reasons. You know, all those themes I mentioned yeah. um, being one of them. I know that's one, a topic that like we, we, we can't explore in this episode, but maybe if we just sort of sprinkle it into several episodes, we'll get somewhere. But I, I wonder how much of that is uh our political climate of today like causing us to interpret mm. older works in a way or if it's really like um you know it's the, in that way that science fiction is often sort of uh uh predictive of an yeah. outcome like have we hit the political 
outcome that could have been predicted in 2003 and that's why we're seeing this in all these older works or are we just sort of you know wa- viewing them through a lens of 2018 i don't know just a thing to you know put i'm gonna out say there. <laughs> i'm gonna say for me because some of some of that's largely subjective obviously i think for me that's it's the second it's it's seeing this through the 2018 lens and it just so happens that the 2018 lens really makes this content feel more important or it's just seems mm, more towards it I like that. and that's you know we've had other episodes and we've talked about other books where i think the best books are you know they just have a timeless quality anyway and you can see them differently in each decade or in, you know through each um major moment in history and i think as those moments appear they color that story more they give it more heft and meaning and vice versa the story gives the moment more meaning and right. so this has a lot of that I will say there is some of it that feels a little amateur from time to time. Mm. Um, you know, I think I'm comparing, and I, I'm, I'm prone to compare it to a book like Postal, which I've talked about before too, and very different story, but some, some similar kinds of themes and some of the execution could have gone a similar way. And I think in this particular book, in Greendale, they opt for more of a juvenile kind of, and I, I, I want to be really careful because it's not, I mean, I own it. I'm glad I own it. I, it. It's definitely worth reading, but some of it does kind of have that feeling of, oh, hmm, if they had, you know, it were this in the hands of somebody a little bit more experienced, I wonder what we'd see. Now that's on the writing side. On the art and illustration side, it's amazing. And I, mm-hmm. I should point out that Cliff Chang is the artist on Paper Girls. So you will recognize him from there. He's also written, or he's also drawn for Wonder Woman and a bunch of other major DC titles and other things. But I think Paper Girls, if you have seen that style, you will be really comfortable looking at um, Greendale. Do you think some of those, that writing, um, the amateurishness that you're seeing in the story, do you think maybe that's because, I, you know, Neil Young was sort of insisting on certain themes, getting shoehorned into it or... You know, I'm wondering if there was maybe like a little uh, creator conflict and like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just more apt to blame Neil Young. Than yeah, the I mean, writer. <laughs> that seems that seems likely. Um, right. There are a couple moments where you're like, man, you guys could have been a little more subtle with this. But it, right. it's almost like they opted where where the story could have been more subtle and nuanced versus more like message driven. They went for the more message driven part whenever they could, especially later on in the book. You're like, oh, it, it's we've we've moved on from Stranger Things territory now. It's all about mm. this pipeline, like yeah. so. It's and 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 he does it does weave back in the mysterious elements really nicely and to a satisfying conclusion. But imagine if you will, like let's just take Stranger Things as an example. You know, imagine in season one, uh, you know, by the time they finish, you know, spoilers, they beat the the Demogorgon at, at some point. Imagine before they get to that point, it's all about this corrupt you know, corporation. And it's all about like the townspeople protesting this corporation. And we just kind of forget about the Demogorgon for a while. It's like, right. it's all about this evil, corrupt organization. Bring them, you know, they're polluting our rivers. Like it just suddenly turns to that for a, a good while. And you're like, I don't necessarily need to know. I get that part of it. We don't need to, it's not as important to keep driving that home. So I think in that regard, a lot of where Neil, I want to almost said Neil Gaiman again, a lot of where <laughs> Neil Young got his inspiration for the original album, which was the political climate and the messages mm-hmm. and the themes of 2003. This book is naturally predicated on those. So you can't escape it. I think right. it, is a, it is an interesting question. And if you ever, if you read this or if you're listening and you read this, I might reread this with that in mind. Like, okay, where, 
where which of how much of this is is Joshua Dysart, you know, just take taking that album that you know the, the original music and running with it, and how much of it is Neil Young going, I really want you know, yeah. this, well, this pipeline to be talked about. I really want the environment message, the environmental message to be really pushed a little harder. Yeah, I almost said it in terms of like, well, in 2003, that was sort of the the way protest songs were written or so whatever. But I think it's sort of true of all time. And one of the difficulties with any kind of protest art is if you deal too much on the issues of that moment or something, or you're just too blunt about it or, or you know, ham-fisted, then you date you date the art immediately mm-hmm. you know like it's so it's one thing to have the iraq war as the backdrop to a larger story that um or or even to tell a story about the iraq war in a way that touches on the issues that will continue into the future and definitely continued from the past and i don't know i just see you know uh the dixie chicks protest it was not a timeless protest <laughs> it was a very oh yeah know, specific protest tied to 2003 you know um, but I can I can think of like some political protest music that I listen to and have listened to for 30 years. And it's like, yeah, it's it's pretty much timeless because they're still talking about, you know, except for that dead Kennedy song about Jerry Brown that turned out not to be true. But um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like, um, oh, shoot, what's the uh, I'm going to I'm going to really. Yeah, it's like Woody Guthrie, right? Like yeah. Woody Guthrie songs do have that sort of timeless quality. And yeah. I know like Neil Young kind of tries to fashion himself in a Woody Guthrie like mold. Yeah. Um, John Mellencamp does too, to some extent. So these guys are, um, these guys have that. And even like Bruce Springsteen had that whole like Woody Guthrie album that was actually really kind of fun. But th- there was that moment, I think, where all those guys of, you know, the early aughts were like, okay, I'm going to take the Woody Guthrie approach. And when you said protest art, I kind of bristled for a second because in some ways this is protest art, but it's more, it's definitely more subtle than that. Gotcha. Um, okay. You know, so maybe not, that's me bringing that into, uh, the time yeah but it's but you're it's a great question because it does it does sort of sit on that line and i think on the other side of that line is what it's like you mentioned the dixie chicks protest was you know it's very um topical and so you can't really like that's not going to stand the test of time you know it's it is of a moment they've moved on we've moved on and it's you know it's, but the woody guthrie side of that line there's always kind of that eternal you know kind of balladeer um yeah. you know kind of it's like i'm still gonna i'm still gonna tell this these themes are universal and are seemingly endless. So we're going to keep telling the story and it's going to keep mattering until it doesn't. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, so I think there's a lot of that baked into this book more so than I would say if it's funny, if, if you're thinking about protest art in that way, good Lord, citizen Jack, which I reviewed on a previous episode, that's more protest art than I think this is. This yeah, is a yeah. really cool story that happens to have those gotcha. themes bubbling through. Um, yeah. And I'll just mention Citizen Jack is in episode number 82 and Solid go. State that you mentioned the Jonathan Colton is uh, in number 84. Wow. Well done. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to those two. Um, to real quick though, to touch back on the art again, um, Cliff Chang, it's, it's really good. I mean, and I'm not even like the biggest paper girls fan in terms of the art. I, I get it, but yeah. I actually, this is a little bit more, this is almost like a, a stair step into paper girls. It's funny oh. to think about that. Cause this came out long before paper girls yeah. was a thing. So it's cool to see where he went with that aesthetic. Um, you know, after this kind of work, the colors are muted. So the whole thing kind of has this feeling of a flashback, you know, in a lot of books, when they do flashback, they, they, you know, they'll mute, from the current color palette the whole thing is like that so it's got kind of this pulp sort of dreamy quality to it um Hmm. with cliff chang's art which is just 
amazing. So it's not done in a specific way. Like it's not meant in some part of the story to make you feel like a flashback. It just feels that way throughout. It feels that way throughout. And I had, again, kind of fast forward just to make sure, because when it starts, you know, the whole thing starts off with son's birth. So you kind of get this really quick flashback story, but then the colors never, never sort of normalize. So it's, it's, Hmm. it's all kind of in that that sort of dreamy quality, which fits it really nicely. Like there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of, I think a lot of green desaturated tones, um, you know, and then like at night, it's a lot of purples and violets and things. So it's a really good, you know, it feels like a film and that, you know, the colors really coordinated well, blended well, you know, he has a, he has a palette he doesn't really deviate from. And I should give a, a shout out too to Dave Stewart. Um, not that Dave Stewart, as far as I can tell, it's a different Dave Stewart. <laughs> is the colorist on a lot of this. So, um, you know, his work, uh, it, Cliff Chang's uh, art is, or, and illustrations are great, but I think Dave Stewart really brings that, that feeling and vibe to it. So this is a book where I think the, the aesthetics are more important than the writing, you know, than the actual story. You know, we kind of, there's books where I think this, you know, I'll put up with the art cause the story is really good. And then there's some, some books where it's like the art's really good. And, and that helps me actually drive the story along. We've talked about this in previous episodes, I think this is for me one that falls on the latter side where the art kind of keeps me engaged, you know, regardless of the story weaknesses or strengths, you know, where, where the story is strong, the art really works where the story is weak. It fills it in a little bit better. Nice. I would say if you are a fan of paper girls, if you're a fan of citizen Jack, um, I highly recommend this. You know, if you are into those kinds of stories, I would even say too, um, I, we haven't talked about it explicitly I don't think on an episode yet, maybe I'm wrong, but if you're a fan of They're Not Like Us, I noticed some similarities there too. A- again, a story about a young, uh, strong female protagonist in her late teens, early 20s, and just trying to figure out her life. Again, if you like that book, a lot of the same kind of pacing too. Um, definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this at you as well. Uh, final thoughts, I would say definitely a good weekend read. You know, Fire this up in the afternoon just for fun. It probably takes you, you know, anywhere from... 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending how fast you, huh. you and what about like paper versus digital paper versus plastic? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I would definitely say get the physical copy if you can. Okay. Um, I have it just as a tr- standard trade paperback. The, uh, the way that the, the panels are composed, it's a lot of layers. And I think you get a better feel for that, uh, physically. Also the nature of the story. Um, this is kind of feels like a, uh, you know, almost like a, a Steven Spielberg amazing tale or amazing story where you would you would find this graphic novel like at the back of a public library and it would be about the town that you're in. You know, it's just kind of that, um, yeah, that you almost kind of want to feel like, oh, this happened and this is, you know, just sort of manifested itself as this huh. little this little graphic novel. I think it could work well as digital too, but I, I would highly encourage a physical read of this. Great. Wow. Um, so, uh, hit us with the main points again. Um, Neil Young, uh, album, it's called Greendale written by the the book is called (laughs) Neil Young's Greendale. Oh, it's actually, that's the title. Look, that's the title. Yeah. It's based on the album of the same name by Neil Young, written by Joshua Dysart, art by Cliff Chang, published by Vertigo. And, uh, you can still find it in most comic shops released in June of 2010. Um, and I'm sure there's been various iterations after that, but yeah, definitely, definitely pick that up. If you're a fan, like I said, of paper girls, citizen Jack, they're not like us. You'll like this. And, uh, just a good little quirky indie title to have on your shelf. Cool. Well, I hope everyone listening enjoys this new one book, uh, format for the episode. Yeah. Uh, 
and they you can find if you like this look for panelism uh that is the name of this podcast and look for us on stitcher uh apple podcast google podcast google play uh pocket cast player fm everywhere the podcasts are listened to and downloaded we should be there and if we're not let us know uh somehow on social media where can people find you on social media Oh, you can find me on Instagram largely. I'm by Taylor Trask, same name and handle on Twitter. If you want to hit me up there too, not on Facebook really. So yeah. don't bother finding me there. How about you? I'm uh, on Instagram as Hey Todd A. And again, just like you said, same on Twitter, but Instagram is, uh, you know, where I am. <laughs> Excellent. Right and now. you can find all our stuff at findusthere.org, other shows, other cool content. Yeah, look for us. And uh, Todd, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you on the next episode. Sounds great.